Hello and welcome back to the Bicom podcast. I'm Richard Pater, the director of Bicom, and today is the 26th of October, 19 days since the Hamas massacre in southern Israel. Today we're going to be focusing on the regional perspective of this conflict, and I'm delighted to be joined by a real expert in the field, Kobe Huberman. Kobe, thank you very much indeed for joining me. Thank you for having me. So by way of introduction, before we start, uh, Kobe is a high-tech uh, veteran and business strategist and the leader of civil society initiatives. Twelve years ago, he established the Israeli Peace Initiative to help regional leaders and decision makers explore new strategic paradigms that include building regional alliances between Israel and the Arab world. But perhaps, Kobe, we can start slightly closer to home. Um, as all Israelis are probably still reeling in a sense of shock and grief and anguish over the events of October the 7th, what was your initial reaction? Where did where did the news find you? Well, I had uh, within, within one hour to cancel a flight uh, abroad and um, uh, I heard the news that one of my friends got killed. Um, the head of Phil Lipstein, um, the head of the local council in Shara Negev. And I was uh, very soon afterwards uh, on WhatsApp with uh, my cousin, second cousin, who who was caught in Kibbutz Magen and was waiting to be rescued. And thank God he was rescued six hours afterwards. So this is how the news started, how the event started. Um, tough times, but uh, we need to move forward. Absolutely, absolutely. So if we can kind of turn to me, as, as, as I said in the introduction, you kind of have, uh, have built over the last decade plus a whole range of contacts from uh, across Israel, neighbors and further afield in the Arab world. Could you describe some of the conversations you've had with some of those Arab partners in the last uh, two or three weeks? Yeah, definitely. Uh, first, the conversations still go on uh, because um, different people in different locations absorb the um, horrific significance of what has happened and digest it rather differently. Um, I would say uh, over 90%, well, let's put it this way, right after the events, I sent an email to many, many people on my network. Uh, it's close to 1,000 people around the Middle East. Um, from those who reacted, uh, I would say 90% were supporting the state of Israel and were extremely against what they have seen. But there were a few disappointments. Um, all in all, I've had um, in the following weeks letters coming over email from people coming out of um, of um, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Jordan, Palestinian friends, uh, Emiratis, Syrians, uh, from all over the all over the Middle East, writing uh, their hearts out and very concerned about me as a person and my family and the situation as a whole. And you could sense the shock wave that the pictures 
have uh, created. I was also, uh, of course, I have many Israeli Arab uh, friends, and overwhelmingly all of them were shocked and have, you know, um, taken the position that they are part of the state of Israel, and they are <clears throat> extremely ashamed of being part of the Palestinian uh, identity when such uh, pictures are on the uh, are on the TV. And what can you tell us about the the, the current line of work that you're the your, the, your, your engagement? How does this uh, how does this affect your uh, your agenda? Well, um, let me let me say this. Uh, one of the things that the IPI group um, developed over the years of the past three years is an organization called MENA 2050, based out of London, which is really a hub and a network, a public one. There's a website. It's not a track to activity that uh, brings together um, more than 200 people from 19 countries in the region, all united in the effort to build a new vision for the region. That network is active, is um, uh, showing its strength, and is committed to you know, resurrect from the tragedies and to build a better future for the whole region. So that's one thing. I'm on the advisory board now of MENA 2050. I'm not, I don't need to run this. This is uh, run by a group of Israelis, Palestinians, and Arab friends. It's one of the major achievements of the regional effort. And it's a public one when the uh, participants are willing to show their pictures in our website. I encourage everyone to, to, to look at this. Personally, I'm focusing on three major steps, which I believe are a direct result of October 7th event. Number one, I'm working on a plan of how to restore deterrence and security uh, on a strategic level through regional cooperation, um, simply because you cannot have any idea of any peace or any settlement or any agreement if Israel is perceived to be a weak player. Israel is a strong player, needs to go back and do the right thing in Gaza and elsewhere, and needs to restore the position of a municipal power that is respected, feared, and has the effective deterrence of enemies around uh, in the region. So that's point number one. How do we store security and deterrence? Second effort is how do we restore the cohesiveness inside Israeli society. And third effort is how do we pave new roads and build new paradigms for settling the Israeli-Palestinian-Arab conflict in the years to come. Now, not all of this will happen at once, and there is a, some sequencing here, but I believe it is um, a tragedy that requires us to go back and rethink what is our joint vision as in Israeli um, society for the future? And that has to be based on these three elements, deterrence and security in one, um, 
cohesive social cohesiveness and um, diplomatic innovation going forward. These are the things that I'm focusing on. Very interesting. I will come back to a couple of those points um, uh, shortly. Um, I just wanted to kind of go go around the grounds a little bit and just kind of get your assessment on various uh, from various countries if there is kind of a specific trend. If we can start perhaps with the with the Abraham Accord countries, how have you how have you assessed the position of the leadership? I suppose particularly in in the Emirates and in Bahrain. Um, relative to this to this latest uh, conflict and kind of their their relationship towards the current Israeli government. First of all, I urge all of us not to uh, relate to every statement as if this is the uh, fundamental policy or the fundamental strategy. Um, the um, the relationship between Israel, the UAE. And Bahrain are based and founded on strong pillars of cooperation, shared interests, and shared concerns. This has been further substantiated when you look at the fundamental strategy of, for example, the UAE to bring uh, interfaith tolerance and uh, uh, you know a perception of moderate and reasonable. Uh, Islamic uh, lifestyle and beliefs uh, for them what Hamas has been doing especially on behalf of Islamist uh, beliefs is is not tolerable they, they will not they will not accept this so uh, in a way it reminded all of us what we are up against and I believe, uh, the same applies to Morocco, although the situation there is a little bit more um, complicated. Uh, so I urge all of us not to go uh, to the extreme and think that certain statements are, uh, you know, uh, an indication of the true strategic relationship. I have not noticed any any uh, cracks in the strategic intent and the strategic rationale behind this. But um, we will have to continue and work on this because the aim of Hamas and other countries uh, and other spoilers in the region is to derail the train of the Abraham Accords and any potential path to stability, security, peace and prosperity. Absolutely. I mean, one of the other kind of Israel's strategic allies, maybe one of the kind of the what kind of is one of the core um aspects of Israel's security doctrine is their relationship with Egypt, um, especially over shared security concerns. But now we find ourselves that, uh, that the onus is on Egypt now bringing in that humanitarian aid through their, their border with, uh, with, with, the, with the Gaza Strip. Um, but they're so far relenting to open their border and allow Gazans to leave. How do you see that, the Israel-Egyptian relationship developing? And do you think Egypt will eventually have to open up because of the pressure and let, let Gazans out? Or will they kind of maintain their position? I think as um, uh, true Israeli um, security and uh, diplomatic ally in the region, regardless of the rhetoric in the streets and the people's reaction. Uh, partnership means that uh, both parties respect the fundamental interests of each other. 
And um, we as Israelis must respect the fact that for Egypt, accepting Gazans into northern Sinai is a major threat to security, to what is already a rather complicated and delicate uh, balance um, of power in Sinai with ISIS, uh, local communities being challenged, and the uh, Egyptian forces as well. So uh, Egypt doesn't need a flash of other, um, um, you know, a stream of refugees coming from Gaza. I think uh, the other issue is that Israel and Egypt must think together about the day after, and Egypt will definitely need to play a role in stabilizing and resurrecting the normal um, life in uh, Gaza uh, following the, oh, when the battlefield um, is over. So uh, I urge again for some some rationality, some uh, you know restraint in trying to judge a certain step or a certain statement all too early. I wouldn't read uh, the Egyptian rejection of opening the gates to Sinai as in any indication whatsoever. Uh, of a belligerent step against Israel or the Palestinians. Um, so it is time to to take some time, restrain, look at the situation and how it unfolds, and remember that it is not just an immediate uh, action. Um, there's humanitarian aid. There is a need to build Gaza the day after, and Egypt will play a, hopefully, a significant role on that in that so I'll, I'll come afterwards to to the questions of the day after because i think although we may be far away from it it's it's still relevant to kind of to explore some of that but just something else you you said in that answer about kind of the the harsh reaction of the uh, of the arab street um there's a, there seems to be a general pattern across the arab world of a distinction between the elites and the street what do you think can be done in the longer term, to educate uh, the Arab public? Well, for me, the um, definition of educating the Arab public is uh, all too incompetent. It's, it's, too, it's too ambitious. Uh, we will not educate the Arab public. Um, it is not the role of anyone to educate the Arab public. Uh, the question is, what kind of media outlets are there? What is the role of Al Jazeera? Where is Qatar? Who has the interest to poison the relationship? What are the true concerns that are that must be addressed? And what are the uh, fake uh, news that are being uh, presented to the Arab publics? Now, the hostility from certain Arab streets towards Israel existed before. Um, October 7th, definitely after, and will continue to be there. That's the reality that we are up against. And um, what we need to acknowledge is that this is the reality, that it, and it will take time to change that, but it is not a matter of how do we or anyone educate. Um, reality will have to change. People will need to change 
attitudes when they see new realities. And our efforts is through leadership, through elite, through um, the right initiatives. We need to change the reality rather than educate. Thank you for that. Uh, you, you mentioned Al Jazeera, um, and, and I'd love to explore the role that Qatar is playing. I mean, traditionally, I've heard Israeli um, senior officials kind of refer to Qatar rather disparagingly as kind of a TV station with a state. Um, but it's a country with, with many paradoxes. On one level, it hosts the most significant U.S. air base in the region. On the other hand, it also hosts the Hamas leadership in exile. On the one hand, it's been supplying Hamas with a lot of money. On the other hand, he does that coordination with uh, with Israel's uh, approval or consent. Uh, what's your role? What's your What's your opinion of the role that Qatar is playing in this conflict? And do you think there is any um, validity into that role in potentially um, going towards a deal to release the hostages? Okay. Um... I believe I came to bury Qatar, not to praise it. I think um, Qatar was a major risk and a destabilization uh, engine and a, a spoiler for many, many years. And it led to the events in 2021 and now in 2023. And I have no doubt whatsoever about the role of, of, of Qatar uh, in the stabilization of the Middle East, Egypt, Israel, is inside Israel, Palestinian uh, communities, etc. The poisonous activities of Qatar on a geostrategic level, on the economic level, on the soft power, and most importantly on the media are very clear. And if anyone had any doubt about their uh, Qatari um, axis um, as the anchor for Hamas and other Muslim Brotherhood violent uh, movements, I think there should be no doubt whatsoever. What matters more than anything else is the following question, whether um, the, the West, um, United States, Europe, the UK, uh, Israel itself will wake up and for once and for all, acknowledge that Qatar is playing that poisonous role in the fabric of the Middle East. Now, having said that, the fact that they are tactically now helping releasing some of the hostages um, raises the question how fast they were up to speed on that. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm even raising the question of how... To what extent was Qatar aware of the potential explosion? Um, I'm not. I don't have any information, but one should at least raise some doubts or at least check that hypothesis. In any way, even if the uh, hostages are released thanks to Qatari involvement, it will not buy them the immunity from my own uh, criticism, okay? Um, Qatar, as the anchor of evil and as a quiet supporter of Hamas and Muslim Brotherhood across the Middle East, is the source of evil that connects to Afghanistan, to Iran, in a way to Turkey, 
um, is, is a meeting place of spoilers from other organizations around the world and has very, very deep toolkit to destabilize the Middle East, while at the same time presenting itself as a modern, sports-loving, uh, humanity-loving uh, uh, country. Uh, this dubious nature, this uh, you know, double, uh, double face uh, image of Qatar should be shuttered for once and for all, and we need to call spade a spade, and we need to call hell hell, and Qatar is where it should start. I'm really hoping that there will be some realization of the role that Qatar played and some resolve and you know, uh, strategy how to confront the Qatari poisonous involvement in the Middle East. I hope I was undiplomatic in my uh, answer to you because that was my intent. Sure, crystal clear. Thank you. Um, another an, another neighbor, neighbor of theirs, uh, we saw an interesting readout from the conversation between President Biden and Crown Prince uh, uh, Mohammed bin Salman earlier this week, where they seem to kind of keep the normalization um, on the agenda. I just wanted to get your assessment of kind of what your hopes would be now post October 7th in terms of Israeli-Saudi potential overt relations. I think that the strategic rationale for rapprochement between Israel, Saudi Arabia, and the United States was solid before October 7th, and there was a reason to believe that it will be acted upon and maybe even succeed. And I think that that same rationale remains solid after October 7th, if not only to say uh, maybe even strengthened. Now, it doesn't mean that we will see uh, an eruption of optimism and euphoria uh, as we see now, as we speak now, or as we see the events unfolding. It doesn't mean that it will go in one straight line to the final target. It may be stalled. But we still don't know how events will unfold. But I, I am a strong believer that fundamental trends and fundamental strategic intents are not immediately changing course just because tragic events. And therefore, I believe that, yes, it has been stalled. I believe that was that was one of the purposes of why the excess of uh, Hamas, Qatar, and Iran saw an interest in launching this attack now because of the proximity to the progress with Saudi Arabia. And that is one of the reasons. And therefore, I think that it will take time, but Saudis, Israelis, and Americans will go back to uh, rethink what's the right formula going forward and how to, um, how to maintain course on what seemed to be a promising track forward. Will there be a successful end game here hard to say how it's too early to to judge but is the intent there i believe it is 
That's uh, it's reassuring. In these difficult times, it's good to find something, uh, some, some, some potential positivity light at the end of the uh, of the tunnel. Uh, one last question, if I if I may. And you mentioned you mentioned the three pronged approach of your work, and one of them was kind of of it, the the engagement in the uh, in, in a peace process, and uh, what we what you mentioned before as well about uh, kind of the end game of working kind of in a post conflict scenario. I was just wondering. Kind of what role the uh, the the Arab the Arab world can play in future stability and and in kind of even post conflict management inside the Gaza Strip, if that's realistic. First, l- l- let me start by saying that we are we we rush too quickly to discuss the day after, and I'm afraid there are many days ahead of us before that day after which we can look at the day after, and. Um, I'm not sure that rushing into any conclusions right now um, is 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 wise, and the reason is that the events have not yet been fully unfolding. We are yet to see what the operation is going to look like. We need to see what happens in other theaters. We need to see the full picture amalgamating differently, and that, that's going to take weeks and months. So. We are not in the day after. We are in the days before the day after. That's first observation that I'd like to share. Second, I think that um, the events of October 7th have shattered many of our assumptions, many of the paradigms, many of the uh, solid beliefs on what things should look like and what the end game should look like, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I call everybody to be a little bit more humble, to go back and think and acknowledge the fact that we are still experiencing an earthquake. Having said all that, it is clear to me that um, if we want to see a settlement in kind, Israel must restore its deterrence. So that's top priority, but if it just restores its deterrence and it doesn't take a diplomatic initiative, it's a big fundamental strategic mistake. How to balance between the two, how to time the the two together remains to be seen. I am of the opinion that at the end of the day, um, not just with respect to the future of Gaza, we will have to adopt different paradigms or different roadmaps towards a potentially different end game. Uh, I don't believe that we will see the classic two-state solution as we uh, saw, but at the same time, I don't believe that uh, reasonable people will uh, promote a one-state solution knowing that the two communities, the two national communities, cannot coexist the way uh, some romantic thinking came to life around the one-state solution. In between, there is a variety of solutions. There is a sequence of solutions, and there is a roadmap. So what we need to do is to go back to the drawing board, define the strategic objectives of the state of Israel and the Palestinians and the region, and understand that at the end of the day, we will need to find a way to have secure, and I repeat, secure separation in kind, which will 
have to be led over time, had, will have to be managed over time with regional involvement, with caretakers, uh, until such moment when we can negotiate additional steps forward. It is not going to be a quick process, and it's not going to be a swift quantum leap to the end game. We will see many mini end games in between until we get to the point that we can declare a stable <clears throat> situation where the security of all peoples is the number one priority. So, yeah, uh, it's time to rethink, it's time to reassess, but um, the the fact that nothing is achievable as uh, as of now shouldn't be used as an excuse to stop thinking, to stop hoping, and to stop uh, experimenting and engaging in an effort to build a path and a roadmap towards some kind of settlement. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Kobe, thank you so much for your time today. Most appreciated. And I think from what you've told us today that we'll be coming back to you in the, uh, the weeks and months ahead to uh, to get more of your valuable insights. Thank you very much. Thank you, Richard. Thank you. Thank you.